Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. And today we're doing the best bits of the season five. Five. Six. Five. <laughs> five. So I don't five. know. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Yeah, man. We've got two drinks going at the same time. We've had our burger. This time, no fight, actually. Last time there was a big fight. There's usually a fight. Maybe we'll uh, come no up mid episode. <laughs> Hopefully. It certainly it's might. It's always a bit more fun. Five years in. Uh, and I guess most importantly, the last two best of eps, the best of season four and the best of 2020, we've been saying the book's coming soon, but finally we can say, well, the book is here, which is good. As you will have heard uh, a couple of episodes ago, we finally have launched the book, The Shit They Never Taught You. Yeah, it's been a huge struggle uh, pulling it together, but apparently, according to Ryan Holiday, that's what you need to do if you're going to actually build anything that's worthwhile. And that is perennial and it's going to last the test of time. And uh, he said in the book, right, like my man, my best mate, Elon Musk, he said that creating his companies feels like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death. I mean, for me, the book at some stage, I wouldn't go that far, but it it was pretty painful doing those extra iterations. (laughs) It's definitely close. George Orwell says writing a book was like a horrible, exhausting struggle and like being driven on by some demon which is probably pretty close as well. Maybe not eating glass, but at least there was a bit of demon in there. I think that third iteration. <laughs> that, was the, that was the point. And then there was a, there was few, a few more moments. after that. <laughs> like, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> well, what basically what, what it is, is that over the last five years of the podcast, we've I'd say we've put at least 10,000 hours each, the classic Malcolm Gladwell, Anders Ericsson, 10,000 hours. We've divulged, hang on, divulged? That's not a word. We'll go with that word. We've dissected. 300, 350 plus books each. Uh, we don't just read it. We go over at least three times. We read it. We do the highlights. We do the notes. We do the discussion. We do the episode. We edit the episode. There's just like so many iterations that we go through to take the best bits from the best books. I'd say, Jones, your big old bookshelf behind us has got at least, what, 30 grand worth of books on it, I'd say, the, at least. Yeah, 100%. So, really, this is a lo- just a long way of saying if you've listen to the podcast, you like books and you resonate with what we do, then just go and buy the book. You won't be disappointed. We can guarantee that. Uh, and if not, it's a money-back guarantee. And we'll just bring it out of Astro's. Oh, Astro's far out. We didn't discuss that. <laughs> Man, I'm kidding. I think if you buy I'm the kidding. physical book, yeah, there's no money back, sorry. <laughs> out of Astro's, Astro's 50%. <laughs> well, definitely if you want to buy the book. Well, we've, we've got uh, out of those 300 plus books that we've read and reviewed, we've got the best 115 books, put them into 32 lessons across nine different parts. Uh, if you want to grab it, it's on pre-sale at the moment, whatyouwillearn.com slash the shit whatyoulearn.com slash T-H-E-S-H-I-T. Uh, and if you buy it before June 23, you buy the hardcover book, you'll also get the free audio book as well. Yeah, so which leads us on to the next point. So we're going to be off for two months. We are putting a bit of extra time into the audio book. So obviously we wrote the book and we've got many hours of content for the audio book, but we're actually going to the next level in the audio book. And it's going to be essentially the podcast on steroids. Mm-hmm. At the end of every lesson, we're going to, have an extra book essentially injected into it. So you're going to get another whole bunch of value within the audiobook that's not actually in the physical book. So we'll be back for our normal juggernaut July, but between now and then, you might hear the odd bonus episode about the book. Um, but as you say, Jones, man, we'll be focusing on adding that, the bonus content to the audiobook. So the book itself is going to be 115 books. I think the audiobook is going to be 140 plus. Um, so we might gonna, crack it up to, I love the number 150. 150. So we, might, 
I don't shoving one fifty bucks in there. <laughs> well, let's call it now, and we'll, hopefully, we can live up to that promise of the best one hundred and fifty books in into one audio book. So, as you said, Astro, if you buy it pre sale, you can get the free audio book. Just email the receipt to book at the shit they never taught you dot com, and we'll send you a link to the free audio book. Okay, so let's get into our normal best of content, our respective top tens. Um, no honorable mentions for me. There was only 17 books we did in this half of the season. Uh, the best of 2020 covers our top 10 books each from the first half of the season. For me, there was a pretty clear delineation of the top 10 and the bottom seven, so no honorables for me. I get a few honorable mentions, mainly because I, I thought it was I was in the same boat as you, but I forgot two books. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do some late rejigging. Mate, a few years ago, I f- totally forgot Sapiens. One, mm. I remember, I've, I've done a few big crazy. Forgetting, episode, forgetting episodes when we do this. Anyway, so one honorable mention probably could get eight, nine or ten this one, I think. Crack in the Code. It's called Crack in the Creation. <laughs> I, saw there was, I saw there was in the, uh, when we were scheduling the episode, you called the episode... Um, something totally different, like a, a change in evolution or something like that. But, and, and the author was CRISPR. <laughs> I had to edit that one before it went up. That's not right. I think Jan <laughs> saves us a few times when we do this. But anyway, CRISPR is going to be one of the biggest changes or potentially on the magnitude of internet over the last 30 years, next mm. 30 years. You could say it's CRISPR um, going to inject a whole bunch of wild shit. So just knowing about it early... I'm personally investing big time, bit of cash in that space. Oh, nice. So just watch, oh, watch good. there. Post Tesla, I'm putting all my money into all this stuff. <laughs> we'll get to Tesla later. Mate, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Doudna, the author of this book, won a Nobel Prize, got a Walter Isaacson biography written about her. What an absolute powerhouse! Basically, discovered this CRISPR Cas9 uh, and was the well, I think she came second in the race, but one of the people to really get it working in human genes, which is pretty wild. Another honorable mention of mine, Getting the Love You Want. Now, we haven't done too many love books, so it's good when we do do it because mm-hmm. we're going, we're taking ourselves from a very low base of understanding and very easy to just jump up a few notches. I think it's good to be conscious of the emotional subterfuge you have at the start of relationships. You're trying to just make yourself look like you've got no problems to the other person, trying to appear a little bit more perfect than you are, add a bit of extra to your cooking and everything like that. <laughs> Um, the other partners doing the exact same thing. So, because of that, both of you have this real passion at the start, which slowly dies down when the blemishes come out, and that's when the real love begins. And as your man Peterson will say, uh, real love is a lot of the time, or relationships are made and not found. And this book is right on that point. Got a bit of Carl Jungian weird shit in there, mm. um, you know, going after people who. Like your mum and your dad, and it's just pretty weird yeah. shit that you don't like to think about. <laughs> well, as you said, we hadn't done too many love relationship types of books. I think we'll do. I think we should do every Valentine's Day. We should drop one in, and unexpectedly, the Jordan Peterson book, which I'm sure will come later in this top ten, was surprisingly a relationship book of sorts, mm. which was a good little subtle one to slip in there, mate. The next one I've got for um, next uh, Valentine's Day. I don't know if I don't even know. Well, I haven't read it yet, so I might not even make it. But I'm thinking men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You heard that mm. one? Ah, I think I ordered that, but I never came I on. Re- book I haven't read it yet, but because we did this one instead, so I thought, well, well, maybe that can be next Valentine's Day. We'll try that one out. Or well, if anyone's listening who are full in the love space, just send us an email of any good recommendations yeah, if you got a better on one, this. We're happy to switch it up. We have got some time between now and then to work <laughs> it out. 
Okay, is that the that's the honourables done? Yeah. Um, before we did this, I made a prediction of what I thought would be your top seven and top ten and bottom seven, and I think it was. I think I nailed them all, didn't I? You did. I was one off. I was one off. You did pretty well though, mate. Well done. My number 10 is coming later. Your number 10 is coming later. So mm. let's do your number nine. My number nine is The First 90 Days. Very practical book that's relevant for most people at some stage. I think where it's going to really help me in my transition to my new role, I think if it wasn't for this book, I'd go in there and just start trying to prove my worth straight mm. away. You know, they hired me. They chose me. I want to show how smart I am and how many things I can get done really quickly and just go in action mode. And if I did that, I could have been at risk of being an organ in a foreign body, right? <laughs> like if I don't understand the culture and adapt to their customs and new ways, then the immune system might reject me. So with this, I'll probably go in, well, we'll go in and have some kind of plan over the 90 days, understand their culture, learn and listen from people up the line and down the line as well. Yeah, I thought it was a good I thought it was a good book, a very specific tool for a specific circumstance, but one that everyone's going to go through at some point. You're either going to uh, change jobs, change roles, change companies, get a promotion, hopefully not get a demotion, uh, but there's, at some point, you're going to go into a new job and I think at that point, that's a good time to pick up this book or listen to that episode. Uh, he talked about a lot of the traps people could fall into when they go to new jobs and also a lot of the strategies and tactics you can use to actually make the most of the start of a new job, which is definitely the most uh, most important, really the most critical part is starting off on the right foot. 100% man. Moving on to number nine for you, uh, Total Money Makeover by Gordon. <laughs> Not Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Not Gordon Ramsay. Who is it? You know Gordon Ramsay? I know Gordon. There's a bloke who, the chef who hangs shit chef. on everyone. I get a mix. <laughs> Dave Ramsay. Dave, Dave Ramsay. Ramsay. Okay. Must be. They must be mates. Um, <laughs> too funny. Yeah, Dave Ramsay. Well, we did what four, five years, four years ago. We did the Barefoot Investor, which was a smash hit around Australia mm. about personal finances. This was about twenty years old. This book, um, Dave Ramsay's probably one of the biggest names in personal finance in the world and this was his original book. I thought it was a little bit dry but some good shit Well, it's clear the barefoot ripped it off completely <laughs> off Dave Ramsey. Even some paragraphs where you're like, hang on, am I reading The Barefoot Investor? Yeah. The tone and everything like that. Anyway, it's a winning formula. So, if you're not from the US or Australia and say you're from New Zealand, probably rip from this formula and then apply it to your country and you'll probably sell a million books. Become the Dave Ramsey of your country or the, the barefoot investor of your country. Everyone needs personal finance, I think. That's a, that's one of the things, you know, you just got to sort your shit out. Uh, he had uh, a whole bunch of steps. Step one, save a thousand bucks. Step two, pay off all your debts. Step three, save about 15 to 20 grand. So, you, you've just got a nice little emergency fund when shit goes wrong. Step four, get your retirement savings in order. And step five, pay off your mortgage. Very simple stuff. Mm. Uh, takes a little bit of time. Takes a little bit of intentionality, uh, but definitely vitally important stuff. The, the steps, I think, are the technical thing. I think the um, applying it. It does mm. speak a lot in the book about keeping up with the, the Joneses, mm. which I think is the the trap. It's like the inverse of all these steps. It is like seeing mates or family or other people um, ended up buying cool shit, and you feel like you're left behind, and so you just go and borrow money. To just keep that appearance up that you're keeping up with everybody. But as he says in the book, the people actually are the most wealthy are the ones who are just wearing modest clothes, mm. driving modest cars, and they end up being the ones over the long run who, who end up in, in front and paradoxically will be actually driving the, the better cars 
just a lot later down the track. Too good. Mate, my number 10 is your number 8, the 21 irrefutable laws <laughs> of leadership. You got 22 in the notes. I'm pretty sure it's 21. Oh, man, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the 22 immutable laws of marketing and the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. They're easy to confuse, but the, I think this one we're talking about is the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership by John C. Maxwell. Mm, I really like... I actually demolished this book when I first read it. I loved how it... Um, the law of the picture more than anything, mainly because it got me onto Band of Brothers. <laughs> really is one of the best, probably the best TV show that I've ever seen. I'm big on the superlatives. <laughs> be like Howard Marks. But there's, oh, about, there's about 15 times I've heard you say this is the best TV show I've ever watched. So, this is just the next, net, the next <laughs> newest best that you've watched. But anyway, it's all about Dick Winters and how he sets an example of leadership because as a leader, people see the actions of the leader as opposed to what you say. And he had the motto of officers always go first. And he'd always put himself in the risk and do all the right actions and letting all the followers follow in those footsteps. Another law that I really liked was law of the, the lid and saying how your effectiveness is essentially capped by your leadership skills. So, uh, if you're not a very good leader, then you can't be very effective over the long run. We've both picked up some more John C. Maxwell books. What did you say yours was? The five levels of leadership. And I think mine was the 15 something like not irrefutable, but like the 15 must have laws of personal growth. They're all, he's always got some number and then some, anyway, they, they might be coming up in future if those books are any good. But that, that one was my 10, your eight. This next one is your 10, my eight. And that's the four hour body by Tim Ferriss. Obviously, we love the four hour work week. Big old Timbo is just uh, exploiting on that four hour and he's got the four hour body. This would be much higher for me if I followed through with the diet <laughs> and got results. <laughs> I love that when we recorded the app, you were pumping it up. The Instagram had the photos beforehand and I think the day after we recorded the app was the day you finished doing his diet. Oh, mate, and look at the photos of uh, the before. Even the after photo is not that flattering. The after photo is pretty good. Does it? It's only three weeks. Great. But um, yeah, the, the problem I had, well, the, we'll go through the five rules, right? So avoid white carbohydrates, eat the same meals over and over again. He's got specific ones. Don't drink calories. Don't eat fruit. This is where I cooked it. <laughs> and the fifth one is, yeah, take one day off a week. Having a mm. cheat week. I was fine for the first three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then after this diet, I ended up letting that cheat day... <laughs> Go over a weekend, yeah, and then Friday night through to Sunday night, <laughs> and then um, yeah, I was probably net negative after this whole experience. Too good. Well, there are some simple rules. So avoiding the white carbs. So basically, it's quite simple. Like it's a very simple diet. Uh, no bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, cereal. So none of that. And then basically, you just eating meat, legumes, and vegetables. Quite an easy diet, I think. Quite an easy. I actually did. I didn't. This is how we, you and I differ in terms of like that. You like the public commitment. You like to send it out to mates. I, I'm very different, whereas mine's, mine was more of a, a subtle thing. So, I had Big Nige, my brother's wedding, end of Jan. Mm. So, from uh, three weeks before the wedding, I was like, well, we just done the four-hour body, so I committed to it. So, I went seven and a half kilos down in three and a bit weeks. Jesus. So, mate, the diet works. And I, I, I think I followed it reasonably strictly, but not super strictly. There was a few, it could have been, I reckon it could have been nine kilos if I had have done it properly. Um, but then, similar to you, <laughs> after the wedding was done, <laughs> I think I'm back up 
five since then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. So, uh, yeah, could be – probably is a higher rated book, but just our application of it yeah. would probably – I think it's it's – it's a simple one, but it is. It's like it's sort of somewhat extreme. In well, the that's the issue with some diets: is if you can't apply it for the very, 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 very long term, then um, you know, maybe I'm just making up an excuse about why the book's <laughs> not working. But I think it, there is some merit in that. You need to be able to actually do long term uh, commitments, where perhaps habit books are more applicable mm. to losing weight than a diet book. Yeah, I think it's like I think. Uh, if you just go, if you just say, look, white carbs are probably not the best for you. If you try to cut down on the bread, rice, and pasta, and if you try to bump up the uh, the protein and the vegetables, I think that's enough of a thing to just point you in the right direction at least. Um, but if you, as you say, mate, if you start turning that cheat day into a cheat weekend, into a cheat half a week, then then that's when you get into trouble. The worst yeah. is when you you do the cheat day, but you haven't actually done the week before it. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, it's it's cheat day. Oh, but you, yeah. you ate pizza two days ago. It's like oh. Well, it's still, it's cheat day. <laughs> Energy just ends up cheating. Yeah, exactly. Uh, seven for me is next, I think. One up on Wall Street. You gave this a one out of 10. So, yeah. you, you fucking hated this book. I think I, I would, I call it dangerous. I call, I'd call it dangerous advice. That's why I had to give it a one out of 10. Yeah. I'd say it's, I agree with that. I think it's the only time I've ever given it a one. Normally, I'll give it two. Mm. Like most books have got something good in there. This has got something good in there. I just feel like it's pretty easy to take this one and then turn that into a well i think it's i think it's good if you read all the other books and understand why it's dangerous is makes this book uh, eight out of ten i'd say it's so fun- the order yeah, yeah. this is probably disproportionately about the order when you read it because the the first books you should be reading saying all right i should be investing passively index funds because active managers can't make the same return as the market mm-hmm. um which you know we all agree with. There's a lot of books say that, and that's probably the default setting of what you should do. Whereas this book says, "All right, hang on. We know all books rag out on active managers, say they're idiots. Yeah. But this one says, hang on. There are some times where you, as an amateur, are uniquely advantaged compared to the professional investor. So if you can determine exactly when those moments are, when you can deviate from your standard passive investing, then this is a phenomenal book. Yeah." I think the I think you'd rate it highly because you're one from one on Tesla. I think if Tesla had a flopped, you'd say this book sucks. So I reckon that's that's my thing as well. I think it's not something I don't know how repeatable it is, and it's probably a lot of it's like gambling as well. Like you know the the gamblers who come out of the scene casino winning, saying oh fuck everyone should play roulette. It's an awesome. You always win. Mm. But I think it that's you know if well, you ask it, other people, then maybe not. No, I reckon Tesla was a neat. It was a it was a pretty clear. Needle, yes, in hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight. In the, yeah. in the, but if you look Man, at- there's every chance he could have gone bust. Uh, absolutely. But yeah. that's the game you're playing with yeah. you when you're doing needles. Yeah, exactly. Right? As Howard Marks says, there's no such thing as a low-risk, high-return investment. Yeah. If you're looking for needles, it's high risk. That's just the game you're in. Yeah. My, only, my thing is it's, it's not a repeatable strategy. He was talking about, oh, if you're driving down the street and you see a line at the front of the shop, then you should buy that company. Like- yeah, but that's yeah. he's talking about 1980s, yeah. 1970s. That's that was the, the markets they're in. Whereas Tesla today, I think, yeah, yeah when no, I drove in the the uh, driverless vehicle in two thousand seventeen, mm. um, a lot of people. It's like the first person who saw the iPhone and realized how much better it is than a Nokia. Mm. Like when you hold it, you're like, all right, that makes sense. This is going to be the future. I do you reckon, exact do you reckon same like, it's guaranteed to work? I, th- I think there's still a chance. Say, Tesla I've doesn't never work. Say guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I say, but. 
beating the market on average. I'll say mm. extremely likely. I'll, I'll judge you on the, the next four. Okay. If you're one from one, but when well, you're I'll tell you what my other five, one, gene editing is my next gene one. Editing. So, we'll see okay. how that goes. Okay. Yeah, nice. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're going up. There's a bit of a... Actually, got one more, one more dig. We didn't mention this at the start. We haven't mentioned it at all. It's worth bringing up now. Uh, mate, we're, we're recording. This is the, the first best of episode we're recording in your the house that you bought. <laughs> mate, I've got a question for you. If Tesla's Please. so good, how come you didn't just drop all that money in Tesla? You could have tripled it up by now, I reckon. Nah, well, I, we'll put it this way. I was able to sell... I had to sell a whole bunch of investments buying this. <laughs> didn't touch Tesla. Okay. So, there you go. Also, homes aren't uh, slightly different as yeah, well. Yeah, you're, you're, not picking, you're not picking needles like Tesla. Um, but I like it. But big, big congrats on buying the house, man. And it was a quick, it was a quick, uh, it was a quick turnaround as well from uh, the last four and a half years on the podcast. We've been saying how the Australian property market's cooked. Well, that's then a, you're in. Well, that's a very good example of where <laughs> I was just totally wrong. So what I'm saying, I was a hundred percent wrong on thinking property so cooked. And I thought, like uh, again, like Howard Marks says, so loss is what happens when risk meets adversity. Mm-hmm. So I would have thought, all right. Property, the highest risk investment. As soon as mm. adversity hits, it's going to be the biggest losses of all time. Mm. Uh, let's just you know gear up for that. <laughs> biggest bit of adversity came. Yeah, no losses came. No losses. Oh, it just wrong. went up. <laughs> I'm wrong. So moved quick as soon as I realised that. Fuck. Yeah, no, the, especially in Melbourne, the property market is cooked at the moment because I'm in this. I'm in the hunt, but uh, not finding anything. We were saying before, it's like their train. You've uh, been saving up for a while, yeah. you know, trying to run I'm and chase, ready. And get your hand on the train, and then the train just the train's gone. <laughs> oh, oh shit, God. mate! My number seven algorithms to live by. Now, when I was reading this book, especially the first two three chapters, I was like, it was turning me on in ways mm. that a book hasn't turned me on for a long time. Just like I think it was the 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 inner that like the math stuff, applying mathematical formulas to the real world. I was just really loving it. Admittedly, some of the chapters after that sort of went a bit too far and they dropped off a bit. But we picked the best three and turned, you know, out of those 10 or 12 chapters, we picked the best three and turned them into a nice app. Yeah, some really good stuff in here, like uh, explore and exploit. Mm. Comes up in a roundabout way in different kind of books, but sometimes you need one explicitly calling it out as an algorithm kind of thing for it to make sense in your head. And uh, I've probably noticed recently on that, so you start, well, what you're meant to do in this algorithm is start by exploring and mm. once you've done enough exploring and make sense, start exploiting. I'm probably in a time now when I need to start exploring new podcasts, for example, mm. because I've gone very dry on things I get excited to listen to um, and probably everyone out there has elements of things they should be exploring and exploiting. Yeah, definitely. So, the ex- explore, so that's like, you know, the when do you go for the favorite versus the new like when do you try out the new restaurant? When do you try out the new movie versus when do you go for the favorite? You know that you, your local pizza joint is always going to deliver the goods. You know that, that that classic comedy movie from 15 years ago is going to be funny every time you watch it. So it's sort of like when do you try something new? When do you try something uh, that you know is going to work? And generally towards the start or if you've got a long time horizon, you should be exploring because then you can hopefully find a new favorite. When time's coming to the end, that's when you start exploiting and just go on the favorite over and over. Tell you what, mate, if you want to be exploring new books, the shit they never taught you, <laughs> 116, explore. Plus we, should you can more, explore. we should have been getting more plugs in, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. And um, I think it's only 115. I've had to tell you a couple of times. 
<laughs> you keep saying 116. We've oh, got 115 God. books in wine, basically. <laughs> 116 sounds better though, mate. Well, we've got we've got a I reckon there's probably if you add in mate, which is not a full chapter, if you mm. add in the easy way to stop smoking, which is not a full chapter, and if you add in what was the the climate change book? This uh you know, uh, David Yeah, the, what, the whole world's ending bloke. Yeah, with the B on the front cover. David Foster Wallace. Yeah, yeah I know that is one. That him? Yeah. Anyway, that book. If you add in those three, which are side cappers but not full chapters, it's probably 118. Mm. Yeah. Plus, if you add in actually the one thing, which is mushed into the Eat That Frog, we're up to 119. <laughs> so, basically, go and buy the shit they never taught you. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, man. So, number six for me, the three languages of politics. And I think... Three years ago, super irrelevant book in my brain. I don't know if it's me or the world or both, but the whole world is just getting so bloody political and tribal because of that to the point where I think families are getting torn apart, friendship groups are getting torn apart because someone's left, someone's right wing and all that. And um, so you just put oh, a smile there. You've got to bring something <laughs> no, no, no. up. <laughs> I want to say we, we, we said David Foster Wallace. He's a bloke that did Infinite Jest and Considered Lobster. I've got to find what this book is because it's not <laughs> David Foster Wallace. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. What was the book called? Do you remember? Uninhabitable Earth. Uninhabitable. Ph- phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uninhabitable Earth. His name. You're close. His name is. Where are we? David Wallace Wells. Oh, oh mate, that was very close. Oh. <laughs> Two out of three on that. Oh, claim. Anyway, sorry, back to three languages of politics. Oh, I was just saying how the whole world's getting torn apart. And I think everyone should read this book or a blog post or just, just hear this and just see where progressives, conservatives and libertarians are coming from because mm. it doesn't matter what tribe you're a part of, you can at least see some merit in whatever they're bringing up. Yeah, the problem with with what's going on is everyone's stuck in one of those three realms and they say, well, we're right, everyone else is wrong. And the thing is, when they're making arguments, they only make arguments in their own language. And when they're hearing the other people's arguments in their own language, that it doesn't have any impact. And I think uh, it goes one step beyond that. Like, I think the assertion of wrong isn't as bad as as moral superiority Mm. because when someone feels like they got moral superiority, then... They just don't listen and I've already, I've caught this off a few people and they give you this look and these eyes like they're just nodding their head and they're not listening to you because you're not on the same level of morals. Anyway, the, <laughs> I think to solve that problem, uh, if you want to get an A plus in this sense, try and do the ideological Turing test where what, say if you're a conservative you actually speak to progressives and convince them that you're a progressive. progressive yeah. I think that's a really cool goal for everybody to have. It at least shows that you know and understand and can speak all three languages. And so, at least then when you make um, make your judgments, it's based on a true understanding, not just understanding what your side is saying. Um, this one didn't get near my top 10. Um, it was a bit of a... It was like a... It was like a. It's a free ebook. You know, you can get the free ebook and the free audio book. No. So I listened. I listened to listened to the audio book and li- and read the the PDF for free. You uh, didn't I buy the book. I didn't buy it because it, it's an expensive book to buy. I think it's libertarianism.org and you can get the book for free and the audio book for free if you just search it on the podcast app. <laughs> just had a little bit of a whiz break. Um, <laughs> tell the good thing about having a new home is we don't have to. Uh, whiz in the, <laughs> well, we never had to whiz in the backyard last time. We could have just walked up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, we never had to, but we toilet. did. 
Almost got a few dunnies here. It's, oh, there is multiple. It's good. We've uh, almost gotten a few biffs with a few next door neighbours for various reasons. But that, that was one of them. You doing a whiz on the on the gardening as. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he wasn't, yeah, yeah, he wasn't happy toilet, with mate. that. He wasn't happy with that. I thought it was just watering the plants, you know. <clears throat> mate, you're, uh, hang on, my number six, your number five, something that would have been higher up in previous ones, The Lean Startup by Eric Rees. I think it would have been higher. It's, we've, you know, this is probably what the second time you read it, second or third time I've read it. Um, but it's phenomenal stuff, um, absolutely vital stuff. If you're if you're ever starting a business, understanding the, the key principles in this book i'd say is up mm. there with some of the mo- best or most must have information yeah out of all the 10 books we 10 or 15 books we're going through today i think this one's the number one for anyone who's doing a business and mm. uh, i think we yeah because we read it three times it didn't stimulate us as much but it's my, a beautiful book my problem is the book is a bit technical a bit big corporate a bit boring to read but if you can understand the key behind it, it's phenomenal. It's just saying that, look, most people, when they start a business, they think they've got the ultimate vision, the ultimate idea. They go out, they spend tens of thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of hours of building this perfect product and they're ready and they launch it and then there's crickets. No mm. one buys, no one signs up, no one subscribes, no one does whatever you want them to do and then you've wasted all this time. You can't learn anything. Instead, the lean startup is saying, do a small version, do 1% of that grand vision and actually test out if people actually want this thing that you think they want. Out of the two questions, like you'd ask, can this be built? And you'd ask that question, just go and figure out if you build it. You probably build it and mm. see what happens. But the better question covered in the book is, should this be built? Yeah. And that's a better question to go out and try and find the yeah. answer for. And it shows you how to find that answer through the MVP, getting very quick market feedback for minimal investment. And then you just can pull the pin early and save your resource and investments for other yeah. things. Yeah, exactly. In the lean startup, failure is actually a good thing because it means you didn't waste all of that uh, time, effort, money, resources, whatever it is. And of course, success is a good thing as well because it means you can people actually want what you think they want or what they say they want and you can start to build a better and better product. Number five for you was... Hell Yeah or No by Derek Sivers. So we did, obviously, the very first book we ever did was a Derek Sivers book. This was the second Derek Sivers we did. Uh, there might be a few more coming in the future, I'd say, but this was just like a nice, short, 100, 120-page collection of some of his ideas around what is worth doing, what projects should you take on, and which projects should you say no to. Uh, I think this is very... Um I just popped in my brain. Maybe it's a few jacks here and it doesn't link, but we were talking earlier about the explore-exploit strategy. I think right here, say mm. yes early oh, and man. say no later. It is. I wonder if it's he's read thing. algorithms to live by. Well, say yes early and say no later means you're at the start, you're saying yes to absolutely everything. Mm. So, you're essentially exploring <laughs> yeah, as much it. as you can about the world and later when you exploit, you say no to everything else and Except you're just choosing the, yeah. the one thing. So that's oh, a phenomenal. Well, there you go. Fear. There you go. Well, yeah, that's basically that's the thing is when if you don't, you know, if you don't know what your passion is, if you don't know what you're interested is in, if you're starting out in a new career, a new job, a new business, uh, whatever it is, you say yes to everything. Someone emails you and say, hey, do you want to, I don't know, do you want to be in this podcast? Do you want to contribute to this newsletter? Uh, hey, I've got this gig you know in the other side of town and it's only 50 bucks you say yes to absolutely everything early on because you never know what things are going to work out and then it's later on 
once things start to work out, once the project you're doing starts to take off or once what you're doing starts to show a little bit of promise, that's when you become a little bit more choosy. That's when you start to say no to everything except for the things that are working. Another book that attacked this from a different career angle was obviously Range, another one of your favorite yeah. books. So, uh, at the start, finding your de- the right domain is the most important thing and doing multiple professions isn't such a bad thing because you're going to find... What's the word? Something fit. Domain fit. Something fit. Yeah. I forget. Something fit anyway. If I was like two hours ago, I would have known, but at the moment, I'm a bit off. And then once you get it, you you go hard on it. So, number four for me comes later. Number four for you also comes comes later. (laughs) Okay. Number three for me is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Now he's got a very he's a very intense man, David Goggins, and I think a lot. I think of, that's an understatement as well. <laughs> <laughs> he's more than a little bit intense. <laughs> he's a wild, wild motherfucker. Yeah, and that's what he'd call himself. Yeah, as he'd well. love that description. <laughs> quick side note as well, man. I was going back. You know, Wim Hof. Wim Hof is someone I was keen on. Loved his stuff. Wanted to interview him. And then I looked back through our old emails and we, oh, no. when we emailed him, we said, Wim Hof, you're a wild motherfucker. We want to interview you. <laughs> uh, not surprisingly, he hasn't been on the podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's a bit of game theory there, right? Yeah. Like you need a high risk, high reward strategy <laughs> to land someone like that. Just a run in the mill, hey, Wim, yada, 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 authority drop. You need something that's going to stand out from the crowd. Mm. Anyway, it didn't work. It was worth a shot, but it didn't work. <laughs> but Goggins, a criticism of his book would be that how applicable is running ultras and everything like mm, that. That's my criticism, yeah. Well, his specific story, um, you know, is just an analogy for everyone mm. else's personal stories. But his takeaways, right, like the 40% rule, well, before that, he's like, just the question, what am I capable of? Mm. It's a question probably none of us find the answer to throughout our lives. And the one way to actually find the answer to that question is pushing yourself to your perceived limits and as Goggins would say, two and a half times beyond that because he also talks about the 40% rule and he's proven it in his ultras. You could probably prove it in whatever domain you're interested in. You could probably go a lot harder and work a lot harder at it than you probably think you're capable of. And through that, you're going to find out what your potential is in your short time on planet Earth. Yeah, he does do some wild stuff. I like the cookie jar metaphor as well, saying that whenever you knock off something wild, uh, then that's like a little cookie that you can whack in your cookie jar. And whenever then you're in the, in the midst of the next wild thing, you can remember back and say, well, this little cookie in my cookie jar, that's something I've done before. So for Goggins, it was going through SEAL training. It was going through you know 100-mile marathons. It was going through uh, all this wild stuff that he'd done. It was how many pull-ups did he do thousands of pull-ups in a day type of thing World record, yeah. it was like uh so they were all little cookies in his cookie jar so when he was on his two and a half thousandth pull-up he could remember all the ultra marathons he'd done i think as you say if you think of that as a metaphor you know maybe for us it was okay if we're doing a podcast we've done 300 podcasts before they're all little cookies writing a book a 680 page book the shit they never taught you uh, if you go to whatyourlearn.com slash the shit you can buy that book uh, like if that's a new cookie for our cookie jar so next time we're doing a project and it gets tough we can just remember well actually we did knock off a big project so we probably can do this i can hear in your voice and you were you went from not liking it and you started to like it more as you as you went on there that yeah. little rant my only yeah my only thing is just like it's just a little bit it's almost too wild it's almost too wild for me to imagine running 100 miles <laughs> it's like almost i can't even 
It's just like too far beyond my realm of possibility. But as Goggins would say, I'm just a little fucking little pussy. I need to just really <laughs> improve and just take We're some souls and live up to my own capabilities. Well, I think that's a good takeaway. Yeah. If you think you're a hard fuck um, <laughs> before reading Goggins. that, yeah, well, this is true. This is, I thought I was, never thought I was that much of a hard motherfucker. <laughs> I thought I was like, you know, pretty hard, hard dude, pretty. <laughs> After that, you're just going, geez, I'm, I'm nothing. Yeah. I think that's a positive thing. I'm pretty happy to admit that I'm, I'm never going to run 100 miles. But nothing in terms of, <laughs> you know what I mean, work ethic yeah. in general. Yeah, that's it. Number three for you and two for me, coddling of the American mind. So we've uh, converged here at the pointy end of this. We have got, yeah, we have got close actually. And as you, like, there's a few of ours that are both still to come as well. That we've, uh, even though 10 through five were very different for us, three, four through one are pretty close. Uh, coddling was a good one. I liked it. They just had three great untruths that are seemingly permeating throughout the world today and then a bit of a bit of a medicine to say actually no this is pretty wrong i think uh that opening the story which really leads to a lot of things and it's very related I'd say mostly out of the three untruths the the fragility one about uh peanut allergies so mm. in the 1990s uh parents obviously don't want their kids to die or get harmed so they try Definitely. to protect their kids so what the schools did is they banned peanut anything to do with peanuts into the school to protect the children, which they did specifically for the short-term peanut deaths. But over time, there are these all these unintended consequences that can come out of just being kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, indirect things can come and have worse consequences than the implementation that you bring in. Turns out, long story short, <laughs> more people died from removing the peanuts because mm. the kids' immune systems couldn't build up and they ended up being more fragile as kids and uh, were much worse off over the long run. Yeah, it was like a, a bit of an academic approach mixed with some ancient wisdom, mixed with different philosophy, mixed with different psychological principles and I was, I was a big fan. So, one of the great untruths is what doesn't kill you makes you weaker in the sense that like the peanuts, we want to protect everyone from everything, we want to protect people from potentially harmful ideas but what the actual ancient wisdom is, is that people are anti-fragile and that you should prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. If you're trying to protect your kids all the time or protect yourself all the time as well, then eventually something in the world is going to come along and, and whack you up. Yeah, I love that. And the other one, I'll tie back to an early one, life is a battle between good and evil people. I think this really relates to the three languages of politics as well because you could see you know, a lot of uh, progressive people pointing at right-wing people and thinking, all right, you guys are all you're evil, racist <laughs> yeah. and homophobes and sexist and, uh, you know, you're all evil because of your political positioning. The right-wing people go to the left and go, oh, you're just all woke leftists trying to tear down all our institutions and you just uh, got no idea about how society runs and you're, you guys are all evil. And this dichotomy is where we're moving to now. And uh, your man, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he had a beautiful quote just saying, the line between good and evil runs between every single human heart and it doesn't cross uh, political divides. So, um, every person of every ident- identity and political ideology has the capacity for good and evil, essentially. Nice. Well, we've done two of the three. I might as well finish off the third. The third great untruth, always trust your feelings. And then the ancient wisdom behind this is saying that your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts. So, basically, we need to master our own thoughts. We know that we're all prone to emotional reasoning. We're all prone to confirmation bias. We're all prone to all these biases of the brain. We can't just think whatever we think is correct 
and whatever everyone else does is wrong. We need to realize that ultimately we're pretty biased and we need to keep our own emotions in check. Number two for you, Uncharidion. <laughs> I call it Enchiridion. Enchilada. <laughs> the Enchilada by the big old Epictetus. So I read the original, uh, well, not the original, but the translated version of the Enchiridion by Epictetus. It was pretty hard to understand. It was like in that real old school language that, you know, books like The Prince and, and books like uh, other books like that that we've done and couldn't understand. And then after that, then I read the translation by Sharon LaBelle called The Art of Living. And I was like, oh, this all makes sense now. So for me, that really bumped the mm. score up because I was like really battling to understand it. I thought, oh, oh yeah, I this read. makes sense. What one did I have? You just read the easy one. Oh, did I? Yeah. I thought that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a modern translation. Because I thought oh, I wasn't a big fan. I was hoping I read the shit one and as soon as I read the good one. So. Did you read like the black cover with the white marble statue, that one? Oh, I don't remember. It was a thin <laughs> book and it didn't... Uh, didn't didn't get me as excited as you did with uh, the start yeah. of uh, algorithms. <laughs> was it you had the the female author, not the the yeah. old school? Yeah, yeah, that was the easier one. Well, uh, there was a couple of core ideas, and that the one core idea really is control. Uh, and going back to the big man Epictetus, a couple of thousand years ago, he said you got to realize there are basically two buckets. There's things you can control, things you can't control. Basically, you got to work out which bucket does everything fall to. If you can't control it, you have to kind of ignore it. It's hard, but you know, someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone thinks you're a dickhead. There's all these things you can't really control. You got to try to forget about them and then focus wholeheartedly only on the things that are within your control. Yeah, I think uh, I really like that. I think there's one risk that you could go down with this is uh, probably a bit of game. You know, I've Probably this analogy up way too much with game theory. You know the wood chopper chopping wood. You can't control the you can't control the axe and the tree. Whereas a general's army, the whole world's a lot more adaptive and, mm. and changes. So you could fall into the trap of um, you know, say, Oh, I can't control any of that mm. adaptive stuff about the world. So then you avoid learning anything altogether that's that's yeah. not just purely in this very specific thing you control. Well, that's probably the book, The Guide to the Good Life. The, one of the ones we did really, really early, which I probably didn't even understand back then. I wish I probably need to read it again. But he had he added a third bucket, which is a third bucket you can c- control a little bit, but not completely. And mm. so I think maybe that's a good like all those things. You got to realize that there is a third bucket as well. I like that. Yeah. And that, the other big takeaway for me from the old enchilada or enchiridion is that just having a bit of objectivity, like shit happens. Um, you got to realize that it's not a personal attack at you. It's not the world is out to get you. You got to just realize that, look, sometimes stuff happens. Stop looking at it subjectively through your own lens and just look at it objectively and realize that sometimes bad stuff happens. Yeah, that's another thing that's taken from different angles from books like The Four Agreements. It's fresh mm. in the brain from recently doing the, uh, the audio book. Oh, the one- shit they never taught you, what you learned at com slash the shit. One of the, uh, one of the agreements being... Yeah, don't don't take things personally. Now, this was uh, we're up to the number ones, yeah, number ones. So this was my number four, uh, a very good number four though as well, and your number one. I think uh, you knew I was going to bring it up higher. So yeah, definitely, just, <laughs> definitely. Bit of game theory in that one. I thought the I preferred these rules better than his first book actually. No, we haven't even dropped what the book is yet. Oh, haven't we? No. Oh, Beyond Order. Yeah. 12 More Rules for Life <laughs> by Jordan Peterson, um, following on from 12 Rules for Life. And I thought these were like in his first book, you'd have the, the lesson 
and then the long arc to get there mm. the was too arbitrary almost mm. um whereas this one you'd have the the final lesson but every stop along the way mm. was useful and had some takeaway and had a bit of meat involved in it i'd agree with all that i think my only my only re- realization is that i know that i under rated the first time around the 12 rules for life just because jordan peterson went so massive so much controversy uh there was a specific group of people that were loving it and so i like like anything same as subtle art mark yeah. manson like we we pushed against it i'm sure it's probably better than it was when i read it um so i think 12 rules if i read it again i would like it better now without all that hype and then 12 more rules i definitely really liked as well i think it was a bit more grounded the reason i had it as four and a higher up was like the six of the rules were awesome. Six of the rules were still a bit too epic mm. for me. Well, these pop culture metaphors, I think we've dropped it before, were uh, a good book. So, you got the bricks and the mortar. Have we mentioned this? Yeah, heaps, I think. Uh, have we? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, so. maybe we've used it. So, in, bricks uh, being the lessons yeah. and then mortar being You know what, what we mentioned it? We mentioned it on Coffeezilla. We did too. Which is, I don't think it's up yet, is it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Coffeezilla. Bloody Coffeezilla. <laughs> but the bricks and the mortar. So, you need the mortar to hold the bricks together. And sometimes the stories that uh, acts as the mortar that holds the brick together, that forms the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, his selections of um, pop culture mm. stories are some of the best mortar around lessons that I've ever come across. Because you never forget them. You mm. never forget the stories. And with that, all the lessons that come through with it. Well, yeah, definitely. Like he had a lot. Like he does go the most popular stuff, you know, like your Harry Potter, your Lord of the Rings, all this stuff. The most, Jesus most shit. Jesus, yeah, that's it. The most, most, most popular stuff that everybody knows about, and then boils it down into his own frame, which does work very well. For me, the main idea was my twenty twenty buzzword intentionality. This was a lot about intentionality. Just the idea, and his his metaphor that he brought up a lot was like, aim, you're an archer. You're aiming at the target. You've got to shoot at the target. Uh, basically, if you don't aim, you're never going to hit it. And also, once you do aim, you're going to shoot. You're probably going to miss. You've got to miss a lot. Every time you miss, you learn a little bit more so your next shot's a little bit better. And so, basically, he took that one idea, applied it to a whole bunch of things, career, side projects, relationships, growing up, what type of person do you want to be? All of this was seen through the lens of the archer aiming at the target and taking shots. I have to plug his uh, future authoring here because this is – ties in beautifully with what you're saying there exactly, Ash I think I've done it every, about eight times now. Really? And I'm going to probably do it my ninth oh, wow. this week. I do it every what, year. What, you do it every year? More than that. Oh, wow. Twice a year, three times a year. Oh, fantastic. But um, Take an aim, mate. Takes, a, takes the, a day. Yeah. Takes, like, there's a lot of questions exactly following on from, from this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes from the very high-level meta um, visionary stuff and then eventually it breaks it down to specific goals and then prioritizing goals and everything like that and then some of the goals I completely forget about even just like personal goal pers- about my character um, I think subconsciously I'd change in s- some kind of way and I don't even remember just doing the goal aim. and then I'd just like look look back and be like fuck maybe it was just actually <laughs> taking that day yeah. and then embedding my subconscious these are the changes I want to make it actually does shit. Oh, interesting. Good old Peterson. I've never done it. I've never looked into it. You sold on it? Again, I think I was res- I'm was. i still a little bit resistant to Peterson, but I think now that the hype's gone, I'd be more open to it. Mm. Yeah. How was the hype for this book? I haven't... It's definitely been nowhere near as big as last time, yeah? No, it has. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I'm just operating oh, Probably not as big circles. as last time. No, I think it is. I think you'll see it on top of the... Um, I think it was number one in Australia not long ago. Interesting. Well, yeah, I suppose I'm... 
haven't I haven't listened to Rogan since uh since he moved to Spotify really. So maybe I'm missing out on all that stuff. Mate, so we that brings it what was this for you? This was my number one. Where did it land for you? This was up there for me as well. And where is it? Your number five, I think. Four. Let's call it your number four. Oh, it is. Yeah, your number. Yeah. F- hang on. So my number four was your number one. Your number four is my number one. Nice little synergy there. The courage to be disliked by Ishiro. <laughs> hang on, <laughs> I'm getting her up. Yeah, Ishiro, Ishiro Kishimi and Fumitame Koga. I thought this was um, it was a strange book to read in that it was written of like a a young whippersnapper. And a philosopher having a conversation for 300 pages. So it was quite strange to read, but I thought it was, there were some bits that were real face slappers. Mm. I think at its core, uh, what underpinned, well, at its core is Illyrian psychology, mm. which underpins a lot of our favorite lessons from books. But I think mainly be proactive, which is mm. habit one in the seven habits of highly effective people. So it's just the extreme version of that. And I think it's almost politically incorrect to the extent it goes to in denying trauma, uh, almost saying trauma is more of a choice. Yeah, well, there was, there's sort of two schools of thought. This was around the time of Sigmund Freud who went massive. This Adler, I think his name's Alfred, Alfred Adler, this bloke was around the same time, around the same place, uh, but had a very different view. So, Freud came up with this idea of aetology, which is this study of causation or cause and effect saying, you know, this happened in the past, so this is why you are the way you are today. So, looking at, hey, if you had trauma in the past, that's why you're not performing to your best today. Whereas Adler came with the old idea of teleology, which is saying that because of uh, the actions we take are because of the outcome we want rather than what happened in the past. So, he's saying, whatever you're doing today is because of things in the present and the future, not because of things in the past. Well, Freud's version can be disputed because if X happened to everyone, then Y would be homogeneously the same across the whole entire population, which it's obviously not. A happens to some people and uh, for some people, it spurs them on to the greatest success of all time and for others, it just throws them into the dumps. I think um, my most inspirational person on the planet now, above Musk, Mm. goes to Francis Naganu. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know who he is? Yeah, big UFC fighter. Uh, UFC champion now, but his story, man, it's absolutely insane. He uh, took him 14 months to go from, I should know who my hero, where he's from. <laughs> Cameroon. 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 No, it yeah. was Cameroon. Um, 14 months, he jumped, you know, barbed wire fence 11 times, got dropped in the Sahara Desert uh, to die. Anyway, crazy story, <laughs> but... Anyone who's dealt that hand in life should just not do anything with their mm. life. And how he went from there and actually didn't have his past determine his future and ended up being the heavyweight champion of the world and a bloody good one is that. You know, someone like that just proves that that determinism idea is just, just plain wrong. It's very interesting the way they look at this saying that uh, whatever you're doing now is really as a... As you say, it's a little bit politically incorrect but potentially to look at it this way. But they're saying if you want to change, you can change. It's up to you to choose. Uh, you can mope around and say because of all these past things that I'm moping around. But big old Adler says, well, actually, you're moping around because you want attention from people or you want people to come and look after you. Whereas you're saying if you wanted to change, you could. Uh, for me, one of the biggest takeaways was the separation of tasks. I thought this was a phenomenal idea saying that he says, Adler says all, which is a, 
I, I normally don't like extremes uh, and black and white, but he says, look, all interpersonal relationship troubles are caused by intruding on other people's tasks. And I've definitely just like, I think over time, I didn't realize this was a thing, but now that I've read this book, I'm like, oh, actually, that makes a shitload of sense. Mm. I think the biggest one for me is the, uh, is the I was going to say the girlfriend, but the fiance saying, whatever it is, clean your car, do the do your washing. It's like, well, that's my, my task. If I don't do the washing, my washing doesn't get done. I've got no clothes to wear. That's my task. If she tells me to do my washing, I just get pissed off. Well, uh, hang on. <laughs> Go on an outside here a little bit. <laughs> so, if you're just leaving your clothes around everywhere, you're just using this as a rationalization to... In hinge on Al's life. No, no, no. They're not, I'm not leaving clothes around. I've, just got a, I've got a full washing. I've got a basket where all the dirty clothes are. It just gets full. Just gets full. Is it yeah. impeding on her? I'd say no. I would say no. She would say yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think she just sees it's like, say, oh, yeah, that basket's full. You said your car full. as well, right? The car. She goes in the car. She she's a passenger in the and car. As a, hang on. And as a part, <laughs> as a partnership now, right? If she has to go in your, you can't say, all right, Al, this is. Your fault because you're coming in my car, <laughs> and my car is my task. That's, that's bullshit. It. That's fair. No, that's fair. Well, I think there's that's the problem with his black and white thinking. Can, he says you can, you can. This is something where you can wrestle to your own rationalization that oh, is just definitely. convenient and say, "Hey, it's just my task. I'm just not going to do anything." <laughs> I think this is a problem. Is that he says it's either your task or their task, but there's definitely joint tasks. Mm. So I think that's where the the gray area comes in. And he didn't really say how do you deal with joint tasks. Like he talks about, you know, the, his example is the kid. The kid doesn't study. The parent tries to make the kid study, but really studying is the kid t- kid's task. I suppose there's the gray area there is like, well, what if you want your kid to do well? How do you sort of, I don't know. There's definitely gray area that he didn't explain. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, he, well, he did a little bit in that sense that uh, if it's the parent wanting to do it, for their own, you know, perception of hey, my kid's doing so well, and they got a good story mm. to just give to their friends over red wine or something. That's when it's <laughs> that's bad. That's yeah. bad. So mm. you know, I don't know if uh, okay. Yeah, so what about parents if, are what about all if Al wants? What if Al wants to pop in my car? Yeah. So where's the when when where's the separation of tasks? If she wants to pop in your car, yeah. But you're a partnership now, mate. <laughs> it's our car, number one. Well, she's got her car. I've got my car. But you you're joining possessions. <laughs> Joining for that's probably fair, but then so so I've so I have to clean my car, hundred <laughs> percent. Mate, well, I've got a no, good book fair. for you for that one as well. <laughs> if you want to borrow it, yeah, but, what's that? Uh, Mario, I'd love to borrow it. Can you hand it to me? No, nah, I, <laughs> I lost it. We said before this episode, Jonesy's lost a few books, and coincidentally, the book that says that you should know where every possession <laughs> is because of category is the book that he lost. Oh. <laughs> God, I'm not. I think I lent it to someone. I don't know who it is. I'm never lending books to people again, though. That's too funny. And yeah, never I've, come I've back. had that. I've had that rule for a long time. Okay, so that's it. Number that's 10. it. That's our top tens from the uh, first half of 2021 or the second half of season five. Five years. Hundred percent. Five years, man. Congrats. Cheers. I've got an empty cup, but there you go. Cheers. And have another one after this. So we're gonna have eight weeks off. Usually it's four weeks. But if you're missing us, um, well, we haven't finished the edit of it. It's going to be, what, 20 plus hours of what you want. I think closer to 30, yeah. Really? I don't know. It's it's Well, it's at least 115 books. As we said, with the bonus content, it's going to be 150 books in one. Well, anyway, it's going to be um, a lot more content to keep you going in our absence uh, with the audio book. So, yeah, go and buy our book at 
whatyoullearn.com slash the shit. That's it. And you'll get the free audio book with 30 hours of, uh, say, the podcast on steroids. A big thanks to everyone listening. Actually, I was going to do this at the top, but I forgot about this one. Uh, we had a review from Krista Lee 8778 from Apple Podcast Australia. It was four stars. And she said, for someone who loves to read nonfiction but is time poor, I love that you guys can help me narrow down which books would really be worth reading. You do it in a fun, engaging way. Keep up the great work. As I said, it was four stars. <laughs> and she says, uh, you lost a star because you recited the entire story of the guy you shared a room with in Bali at the end of your <laughs> best of 2020 episode. Oh, so God. That's, fa- that's fair enough. I think we went into too much info on that episode. Well, I, I had I a better way. Of, I, thought of, I thought of a better way of doing it. A, like a, a graceful way of doing it after, but I was too drunk at the time. But hopefully this best of episode was uh, still fun, but a bit cleaner than the last one. <laughs> well, can she change her review? Maybe she, yeah, she can change it to five if we, <laughs> if we did it a bit, a bit cleaner. But thank you so much to everyone for listening. It's our fifth year of podcasting that we're just wrapping up. And uh, I think there's hopefully five more to come. Awesome. Awesome.